I am Douglas Little, founder, perfumer, and creative director for Heretic Perfume. You are listening to the I Am Heretic podcast. These podcasts are an exploration of the senses with a focus on fragrance, how it's made, the effects it has, and the incredible people it has led me to meet. When it comes to human behavior, normal is a highly subjective term. But few human acts are subject to as much scrutiny as sex. And fewer still make the idea of normal as subjective as the act of sex itself. The subject of sexuality is a slippery slope, pardon the pun, and one that people tend to shy away from. Americans have a fairly uptight view on sex, and for some, it's the religious dogma surrounding the subject, and for others, the subject just makes them really uncomfortable. What I do know is that sex and sexuality is the driving force in our complicated landscape of our own well-being. Understanding it better may lead us to more fulfilled and healthier lives. My guest today is the incomparable Bettany Vernon, artist, author, designer, fabricator, muse, and healer. You wrote the Boudoir Bible. I know this quite well because I've spent so much time with you, but if you could give a few guiding words to as far as the subject of the Boudoir Bible, how would you, what context would you put it in? Well, the Boudoir Bible, you know, I wrote it in 2013. It took me about five years to write it. And they wanted me at Rizzoli International to put a, a second title on it, which is The Uninhibited Sex Guide for Today. That's pretty much what it is. I was keen on exploring basically the destruction of the, the term normal when it comes to our sexuality and pretty much for anything, really. I wanted to explore also the pleasures of full body stimulation and the tools and techniques that allow us to treat the entire body, mind included, as a sexual organ. Because I find that purely phallocentric sex, as most people define it, or genitalized pleasures, can get kind of boring. We know that our intimate relationships have shelf lives if we don't constantly push the boundaries and continue to explore. That shelf life can be anywhere from one night to a year, maybe two or three, before you really start to have to get some skills and some knowledge and some extra possibilities, or we could call them tools in our box in order to evolve the relationship in the name of pleasure. Otherwise, we get bored. I mean, it's just the nature of the brain. The brain, as we were speaking earlier, it likes to play. And the body is the subconscious. So as adults are often told that we have to stop playing around, we listen to those who tell us that sometimes. And uh, I'm a big promoter of play. So the Boudoir Bible is also about adult playtime. I find that that's really important. I also believe in durable relationships. How do we, how do we kindle a an ever-evolving, durable relationship with someone. And you feel that the Boudoir Bible answers some of these questions? Yes, that was one of my goals. You said something a while ago when we were together that I've always held on to, is that your work is about demystifying the taboos. And I think that that's a really powerful statement because people have so many taboos wrapped up around sexuality. Yeah, well, that's the other goal that I had in mind. And it was really to dismantle the pleasure taboo. Because we are living in a very sexualized society and we're faced with sexuality constantly now, often for purely unrelated reasons. At the same time, pleasure remains a taboo. And I think it's because we are living in a society, particularly in America, but in general, where we're not taught about pleasure. We're not taught about love. One of my big concerns is that love is also taboo. You know, today in this consumer sex society that we live in, some people don't want to talk about love. They find that love is a compromise. And I find that that's quite sad. It's a very sad thought. And, uh, you know, people who believe that love is 
our responsibility tend to look for consumer relationships and not evolve meaningful long-term relationships, which actually allow us to explore a whole other dimension, you know? And I think we're living in a society also that is fearful, and there's a lot of taboo also around the ideas of aging and therefore dying. And this is, this is quite naive because we're all going to age and we're all aging every day. And uh, I think that we have to integrate the idea of aging and evolving with loving and dying and living because what makes life so valuable is that we are going to die one day. So I try to, in the Boudoir Bible, obviously, I'm focused on undoing and, and debunking the pleasure myth. It's very much hinged on loving someone. To practice what is in the Boudoir Bible, you have to be in a relationship where you trust someone because you're going to go to another place. It's not just quick phallocentric sex and you're done. Wham, bam. Thank you, monsieur, madame. <laughs> <laughs> it takes time to pump uh, what we call beta endorphins into the bloodstream and to actually have an experience that is beyond just a physical release or the physical release of an orgasm in itself, but also something bigger can happen. And that's what I'm interested in. I really would love to hear Bettany's definition about sexual wellness. Well, when I talked about sexual wellness in the 1990s, people told me I was crazy. And today it has entered into the lexicon of wellness. And I think it's really important when people come to me with the question of, you know, how do I find my sexuality? How do I find my wellness in that area? How do I find my pleasure? No, how do I evolve my pleasure? The first thing I do is I ask them, well, how are you eating? How is your home life? How's your job? Are you stressed out? Are you generally happy? What's going on? Because to have a great sex life is also to have a great life in general. I mean, it's about a lifestyle. I think that so many people, the, the concept of sex and work and diet is so disconnected. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people think sex is really just something that occurs in the bedroom or, you know, as you said, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. And that the, the concept of connecting it to what's going on at work and these other aspects, they, they become very devoid. You cannot avoid the question of what else is happening in your life. What are you eating? What are you doing? No, it's all interdependent. If someone comes to you and they're going to have a Bettany Vernon experience, what does that entail? And, and can you outline, you know, to the listeners what that would look like? For everyone, it's different. Everyone's desires, things that they want to improve on or to learn more about or to overcome. The modalities, the techniques that I use may be similar. I do use things, for example, I'm a clinical hypnosist. I'm quite known for also using means of restraint to induce a breakthrough, whether that's cords or ribbons or my teeter rig, which is where you're not actually confined, but you're taken off the ground. It's actually part of my method for getting people who are not essentially experiencing pleasure through their sexual experiences to get them to go to the other side. And do you have more, more men or women that come to you? I work a lot with women and with couples. Everyone is looking for something different. When I first started, I was, you know, it was 30 years ago and I was very naive. And I thought that everyone wanted to experience enhanced pleasure like I did. And then I found myself in front of the fact that we're living in a society where sex is taboo in a way. Pleasure is taboo. Sex is less and less so, as we said earlier. We don't understand the body. We've not learned about enhancing our pleasure. And this is what I really wanted to do with the Boudoir Bible give you the key to the body and to the sexual realm so that you could explore on your own. In the beginning, when I was trying to find a publisher, they were asking me to make descriptions of ceremonies at the end of each chapter, and I refused. 
I said, if I do that, then I'm affecting your journey. I'm affecting my reader's journey. I just want to give them the toolbox. And then after they can be creative about it. I was also naive to think that I could be so focused on pleasure, you know, but I was 25 and I was just coming from my own point of view. And today I understand that there's a lot of repercussions of sexual abuse and cultural restrictions and inhibitions and rules that are put in place about what our sexuality is supposed to look like and what's right and what's wrong. And in fact, I eliminated the term normal from my book because again, it's not... What is normal? Just in general, what does Bethany Vernon feel about the concept of pornography and pornography in the bedroom? Well, I think that porn liberated us. And in a way, it, it also liberated the female orgasm. And now we're enslaved by it. And uh, I work quite a bit with porn addicts and people whose relationships are falling apart because of porn. It has a power to actually numb out the brain when it comes to the real experience. And the actual experience of sex becomes something that someone who is watching a lot of porn is not necessarily entirely interested in. They're quite happy just to masturbate and watch porn. So there is a break that happens in a relationship when one of the partners becomes addicted to porn because the other person is left without the actual physical contact. And without physical contact, there's a big part of us that gets broken and frustrated. And that frustration then leaks into everything and it can cause for rupture. You know that when they take someone who is a porn addict into a rehab process, it's the same rehab process that is used to take someone off of heroin because it's the same part of the brain that's being stroked. Wow. And it makes so much sense. So sometimes in my work, I'm also working with reassociation of the sexual mind with the sexual body. Some of this work occurs when I'm working with cancer survivors as well. When we have been through a serious illness and have taken pharmaceuticals and or had radio or chemotherapy, operations, parts of the body removed, etc. in order to survive, our sexual energy gets displaced. So sometimes I'm working just to reassociate sexual persona back into a person who's been through physical trauma. That's amazing. The other thing that I discovered over the years there is, there is way more disappointment about sex in our world than there is actual appeasement and, and great happiness, joy and satisfaction and fulfillment. Do you think that the expectations are too great? Yes, I do. I think that porn builds incredible expectations and it's really important to watch porn also knowingly. We know that porn is all about getting a great view. And yes, you do have to have a very big cock <laughs> to be able to be on camera and have uh, things visible. But does that mean that everyone has to have a great cock to have a great sex life? No. And often in porn, we're, we're seeing, you know, the body put in positions that are all about getting a great shot in reality. There's a lot of children that are watching porn. You know, the brain is being stroked. The desire center is being stroked. But in children, there's a disconnection because they don't actually understand, you know, children between the ages of five and 12 don't really completely understand right. what the sexual act is all about, but they're watching porn. That's a terrifying thought. And then they come actually into the moment where they are, are faced with the opportunity, you know, experience, the real experience. And because they've watched it, they believe almost that they've had it. And so there's a sort of indifference to the sexual experience. I've been reading all these articles about, you know, how people are having less and less sex. And you think that this is the technology is definitely a big part of that? Absolutely. People are bored. They're disinterested. So again, in that arena, there is a question of reassociation. First of all, you've got to get the person that, you know, that's watching hours and hours of porn every day off the machine and back to the body because nothing can really replace what happens in the body. Nothing. 
This brings the conversation back to, again, another aspect of, of who you are and what you do. I'd love to hear a little bit more about your erotic jewelry. Why did you create them? Well, I started to create them because I, I understood, uh, you know, in the 90s that there was a there was a vision of, about our sexuality that was very dark. And the idea of playing with the whole body and, and, and charging the whole body with sensual energy was very much connected to either a vision that was confined to the dungeon, basically, to the underground. And it was something that was seen as perverted and sick and associated with with mental illness up until really recently. I mean, even myself in 1996, I remember showing some of the erotic pieces to the buyers at Barney's, who, which was a store that I was already working with, the jewelry. And I remember being told, we can't sell this jewelry on the jewelry floor. Wow, now. that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't only from Barney's, it was also from other boutiques. You know, they were like, how do we put this on the jewelry floor and actually have someone sell it? How are they going to talk about it? I said, well, I'll come into the training. There's also something about your pieces. I own a few of them and I love them so deeply that they're they're so beautiful to look at. If you know what it is, you know, but if you don't, it's just this incredible object and it's a beautiful dialogue that you get to have with yourself and also with your lover. And I think that that's a really important aspect of your jewelry. Thank you, Douglas. They are made in... in metals that are not treated so it's it's sterling silver there's no silver plating it's 18 karat gold there's no there's no 18 karat gold plating so they're durable in fact the collection for the most part is 20 to 30 20 20 20 to 30 years old it's amazing i mean very early on i realized that my jewelry was empowering people you know i would see what would happen to someone when when they would try it on they suddenly felt empowered and sexier and like they had something to offer that they they didn't have to offer you know, before, before they actually put the ring on. Oh, wow, now I can give a sensation that nobody but me can give this sensation. Something that would enable me to provide sensations that I could not provide with my hands, no? Mm-hmm. When I started to do what I do today, I had no idea where this journey would take me, you know? But one thing that I did do is I put my fear aside and in spite of all the accusations of the crazy and the, oh, you're SM. And I never considered myself in these categories. I mean, that's another one of my goals with the book is to get rid of the categories mm-hmm. because I find that categories are, are, are major limitations and just be authentic. Follow what you feel as long as you're not hurting someone, as long as you're not um, infringing on anyone's innocence and everyone is consenting to have the experience, then it's fine. No, and my bigger mission at the end of the day is just to give the toolbox that you can be yourself and step outside of all the categories. I don't like being categorized. Uh, I don't think anyone does. And you know, I also understood in the work over the years of exploring my own body and bodies and helping others to explore their own bodies as well, is that we're all unique and fabulously different at the same time connected now. Mm-hmm. And being authentic with ourselves is really important. Be true to yourself. I realize today that that's a big a thing to ask of someone. No? It really is. Yes, because again, like we, in our sexual uh, awareness, we've not really been taught how to access ourselves. Someone who's in a committed relationship and they're monogamous, what would be your advice to keep sex and sexuality, sensuality interesting? Well, keep on exploring new things. Like I said before, the brain likes to be, likes to play. 
and the body is the subconscious, and the subconscious is even more playful. Explain that more. Mm. Let me give you an example. Your your partner says to you, oh, I don't like it if you take my vision away. If you blindfold me, it makes me feel uncomfortable. And how can I work with that discomfort at a certain point in a gradual way to overcome that limitation and go into a next level of discovery now? Because in the moment that you make him or her feel comfortable being blindfolded, for example, then a whole new arena opens, no? Because, of course, when you start to take senses away, for example, the sense of sight, which we're so reliant on, you are going to automatically get a sensual charge that you wouldn't get if you hadn't blindfolded that person, no? When someone's not comfortable with something, I think it's an area where we can actually test boundaries and borders. That's how you explore greater dimensions. So it's really, I mean, I think what it comes down to and that I'm getting from this is it's about communication. Yeah, it's communication and pushing limits. And that requires that we trust each other. Right. And this is something that can only happen when two people are in a relationship where they get to know each other that well. And because we all know now, and we're talking about it on a podcast, now, <laughs> that uh, sexual boredom is something that, yes, it's something that can happen. Yeah, I think it's very real. I think for a lot of people, and I'm just going to really be first person about this, is that with everyone being so time constraint. What are some other tips and tricks that you could potentially throw out there? Okay, so I spent five years writing the boudoir Bible for you. You need to take 24 hours to read it. <laughs> it might take you 48. It's kind of dense, okay? And then once you've done that, it's just a question of making time in your schedule like you make it to other things, whether it's mixing a new scent in your case, or going to a yoga class or a Pilates class, or fixing an extravagant dinner. It's a question of just putting the time aside. And when we make love at length, we start to tap into the body pharmacy. And this is interesting because we have a lot of drugs in that pharmacy <laughs> that are natural drugs that make us feel good and that are actually mm, very, very effective in terms of beauty drugs as well. And you just have to be aware that you're going to get high. If you're just having fast sex, you're not, you're not, you're not tapping into what the body can actually give in any way. It's not possible. It's not chemically possible. It's most everything that you're talking about is definitely a higher consciousness for sure. Yeah, it's about sexual intelligence, no? That's very true. Very true. So everyone needs to forego Postmates and Netflix. <laughs> yeah, spend a little time, do a crash course in, uh, well, sexual transcendence and, and the body, because the Boudoir Bible is 50% body knowledge, things that we should all know. And the other part of the book is about sexual ritual, creating that space in order to be able to tap into that body pharmacy. I'd love to hear about fragrances that you find very sensual and your concept of scent and sexuality and how you find them connected. Well, I think that uh, within the context of the sexual ritual, scent is very important. For me personally, I feel that my environment must be a, a scent that is inviting, but I don't necessarily know if I would put in a sexual ritual, I would put perfume on my body because my body has my pheromonal scent, my own body perfume. So I would tendentially put that scent into the environment. No, I remember asking you once, can I put smudge, my favorite scent that you do? Because I basically take a shower in it every day. <laughs> can I also use it in the ambient? No? And you said, absolutely, you can. I was so excited. So I was spraying the room. <laughs> I need leaders of that stuff. <laughs> and we know that the way someone smells naturally, no, is for me personally a real turn on. 
within the context of the sexual ritual, I also like to forego things like antiperspirants and things like that because, yeah, so because yes, well, you don't want to lick antiperspirants. And I think that part of the body scent of a lover is, is really got a lot to do with the turn on factor, no? And I like to be able to drink that person literally, to be able to, to lick that scent, to be able to consume that scent. And at the same time, of course, I'm also consuming testosterone and all sorts of other drugs that I couldn't get from my own body. I mean, I'm a woman and I'm with a man. My actual contact with him is, is also exciting because I'm getting testosterone. Exploring a lover's body is probably one of the most extraordinary things that you can do. And having fragrance involved with that, I think if it's strategically placed, I always talk about the concept of applying fragrance to the genitalia as almost like a stick of dynamite, and that it can be this really incredible surprise. Um, But I think that you're totally right, that the idea of drenching the body in a fragrance uh, really diminishes that sensual pleasure. And it's something that people should be more excited about finding some unusual odor. Well, you know what? After about an hour or so, it's going to emerge anyway. <laughs> the, the great thing about your scent, and this is why I love you so much and what you do, is because you're working with naturals. So I hadn't thought about maybe putting strategic you know, points of scent even on my mound of Venus. Can you tell me Bettany Vernon's most erotic scent memory? The scent of hemp, leather, moth, the scent of dirt. I like the smell of gasoline, tar, and the smell of pine. Pine and cedar are both typically classified as top notes, but the other fragrances that you picked up um, and discussed as being some of your favorites, moss, you know, these kind of very, you know, the dark animalic notes that you were referring to, these are all of those delicious bass chords, and these connect us to the primal aspects of who we are as humans. And they're connected to sexuality, they're connected to spirituality, and of course, you know, this makes perfect sense that you would you would wander in you know, the kind of murky aspects of where all life springs forwards. Bettany Vernon, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really fun. My pleasure, right? You really are truly one of the most inspirational and certainly one of my most favorite people. Well, look who's talking. <laughs> Love you, Douglas Little. If anyone would like to find Bettany Vernon's Boudoir Bible, it is available... Where fine books are sold. <laughs> and, um, of course, on Amazon. You can find more about Bettany at BettanyVernon.com and also in the I Am Heretic video interview that we did, which is available at HereticParfum.com. 